Welcome to TAC Talks. I'm your host, Jack Brandwood, and this is the podcast where I speak to some of the brightest and most influential people in the tech industry in the UK. This week, I sit down with CTO and co-founder of Arctic Shores, Saif Hamad. Our conversation ranges from uh, Saif's approach to leadership, the opportunity cost of a wrong hire, and the many benefits of having a co-founder. You need to share in your joys as well. And actually, if you do that by yourself, it's like visiting somewhere by yourself and you want to turn around and say, whoa, look at me. There's no one there to, to share. And also share in sort of, you know, any setbacks you have as well. For more information on this episode and TAC Talks, head over to tact-it.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Hi, Say, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Great to be on. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And loving the loving the polo. Ah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> any, any chance to advertise? Absolutely. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, look, I always like to start with uh, the the question again. It's very philosophical, but um, who is safe? Oh gosh. Um, yes. Well, I'm the CTO and the co-founder of a company called uh, Arctic Shores uh, in Manchester. Um, uh, I can talk about Arctic Shores and talk about myself. Let's start with Arctic Shores. Maybe um, we um, we're all about hiring for potential. Um, helping uh, customers um, uh, see past the CV when they're looking for candidates to fill their roles um, and to to sort of uh, put aside looking at the experience on the CV, looking at uh, what university they went to, what grades they got, and actually thinking, you know, does that person have the qualities uh, to be successful uh, in our company? Um, that, that's that's me as a CTO and co-founder. What, who, who's safe? Um, I, I, I'm a bit of a techie, actually. Uh, and so um, I'm, I'm someone who loves to uh, program computers, um, I'm passionate about uh, mentoring uh, those that program computers as well. In my spare time, um, I pretend to, uh, uh, I suppose, play music a bit and play the piano. That's what I do for fun. Incredible. Wow, what a fantastic intro. Look, I, we always like to start with, I think I told you, but tax vision is to create a world where everyone gets their dream job. So kind of align slightly, but it had to start somewhere. You weren't always a CTO and co-founder. So I need to ask you to draw me what you wanted to be when you were growing up. Um, are you a good are you a good artist? Uh, not particularly. No. Okay. Great. Right. Okay. Um, am I am I being um, viewed drawing this? Or am I, uh, <laughs> slightly. Little... Slightly. Right, okay. If you can talk us through it as you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so so it's an interesting one. I mean, you know, you get asked this. Okay. I don't get asked this so much anymore, <laughs> but you get asked occasionally. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you grew up? Um, and, and the real answer um, is is this, because I actually hadn't the faintest idea what I wanted to do. Um, which um, we can get into, which is why I fell into a particular career which didn't necessarily suit me. But if I'm being honest with myself um, and, uh, you know, some of the ideas that I harbored um, uh, in terms of what I thought I would end up being, even though I wasn't necessarily passionate about, um, I, I, I'd say it was more like this. And I'm not going to draw it particularly well, um, but um, let's have a look. And here's the lab coat uh, like that. Oh, and there's the question mark. Maybe we can turn that into buttons. Um, and uh, I haven't drawn it very well, but anyway, this is a lab coat. Uh, I should put some arms in there. Sure. There we go. That'll do. Um, I, I thought I wanted to be a mad scientist. Um, and, you know, the, the scientist piece wasn't that important. I'd say the mad piece was. For some reason, it was a mad and the scientist, and I wanted my hair up there. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that's... That's sure everybody. If, you, if you're <laughs> listen, just listening, definitely check the video out, because that's an incredible drawing. <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved science at school. I mean, there, there, there are loads of subjects I loved at school. Science, maths, I loved languages. Um, but um, I, I thought science is where I'd end up. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't know what aspect of science. So I thought the, the idea of being a mad scientist sounded great to me. Wow, incredible. So where did you, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in North Wales. 
So um, I don't know whether you call it the, you know, the northwest, like in Manchester, but not, not too far away. Um, uh, a town called Colwyn Bay, you might have heard of, right on the coast. It was a, a great upbringing. Yeah, beautiful place. And uh, and as a, I mean, you mentioned you're into sciences. Are you, what were you like as a kid? A little bit nerdy. Um, I was definitely sporty as well. Um, and, and again, loved my music. Um, but I, I, I was ultimately a bit nerdy um, at school. Um, I, I can't say that I was good at doing my work or my homework or anything like that, but I loved my lessons and loved school and academics. So uh, that's, I suppose that's me. So you mentioned there you didn't really know what you wanted to do when you were growing up. So what was the journey from, you know, being into science, that sort of thing, into where you are now? Sure. So I, um, I ended up uh, applying and studying medicine uh, at university. So I did um, six years of a medical degree. Um, and it's an interesting one. I, you know, my, my, my parents have a medical background, um, so I, I knew about medicine. It was almost an obvious choice that, you know, I, it was almost a case of, I think I might want to do medicine, um, uh, but if I don't start now, how, how am I going to get back into it? So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go for it. Uh, and th there's a couple of things there. I was, I was a bit young for my year, so I would have been 16 where uh, I had to make that choice. And, and, you know, looking back, I think I was a little bit young uh, to make that choice. I don't have any regrets um, about studying it, but it's, it's six years heading in a direction where I didn't necessarily want to end up. The other thing was, when I was applying, I'm not going to say what year, um, but uh, if you look at the economy, it wasn't that great. Unemployment was high. Um, it's quite uh, <laughs> similar to, uh, at the moment, unemployment's not high now, but we're, we're entering a recession. And actually, being a doctor at the time felt like a good option um, in the face of um, uh, the economic climate at the time. Right. Okay. So, um, and when what was the light bulb moment, and you thought this isn't for me? What happened? Probably in the first term. Right. Wow. <laughs> so early but on. It was early on, um, but I stuck out the six years. And and the 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 amazing thing about medicine, um, and um, the amazing thing about the, the the I suppose the medics that you will encounter, whether it be in a hospital or out in the community, is there are so many different branches of medicine. Uh, you know, you can be a, you know, a surgeon or, or a medic, and you can be interested in different parts of the body, and they're all actually very different. So within this this one mega field called medicine, you can you can find your niche. So actually, as I as I did the course, there were certain niches that I thought, uh, you know, actually maybe I could see myself doing this, and other niches where I thought, no, this definitely isn't for me, and that that's normal for any medic. So I I, I stuck it out for the six years actually. You know, always had this doubt in my mind. You know, is this the right thing? But it was actually when um, I was applying for um, my first medical posts as a junior doctor in the hospital. Um, and I, I actually had the form in front of me and I had a pen in my hand and I thought to myself, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> uh, and, and stubborn as I was back then, I, I just didn't. Yeah, it, it, that's incredible staying power that you were so uh, unsure from the first term and you stood out for six years. Yeah, why? Good question. I, I suppose partly um, finishing something that I'd started um, I, I'd, I'd gone down this path, I'd chosen it, and I, I suppose part of me wanted to stick it out. Um, as I say, if it was you know, a no-brainer, really obvious that this was wrong for me, I, I'd have left it. It wouldn't have been right for me to stay on. But I knew there was a chance, and therefore I had to see it through. And until you see it through, you don't really know what the outcome's going to be. And it was only at the end, after you know, I, I finished, that I knew what the outcome was. And, and, and frankly, I, I had fun at university. You know, part, part of um, university life for me was just, you know, growing as a person ultimately. So it was great. I didn't want to leave that behind. Um, and um, I suppose I wasn't ready to know what else I was going to do. So uh, for right or for wrong, I, I stayed on that path uh, until I knew what else it was that I was going to do. 
having said that, even when I got to the end, I still didn't know what it was that I wanted to do. But uh, incredibly so. admirable, uh, admirable, and uh, yeah, wow. And and so, what was your then? What was your road into technology from there? After I left medical medical school, um, I, I I tried playing the piano and uh, singing for a bit, and uh, and played played in a couple of uh, uh, bars, um, and um, you know it was fun for a while. Um, but I'm not quite sure I was good enough. We even released a, a single, um, and and I'm glad I did it. But actually, it was, it was tough, really tough, tougher than medical school. And 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 I, I, I sort of stopped enjoying it. So I, I knew that wasn't for me. Um, but it was it was a friend of mine who um, uh, turned up one day in his um, uh, very smart suit um, and turned up in his brand new car, his uh, Ford Fiesta, um, and said, "I've got this job as a computer programmer." And I was looking at him, it's like, programming computers? And he's like, yeah, programming computers. Now, I was very lucky. My, my parents bought um, uh, me, or the family, I suppose, uh, a Sinclair ZX81 back in 1981. Um, and I, I, I'm not quite sure, I should ask them actually why they, why they did that. Um, but it was like, here you go. Uh, and I loved it. I, I would you know, have the manuals that told you how to program and how to sort of work this computer. And I was just it was religious, just going through it, learning how to program, just enjoying it, lapping up, wanting more and more information. So there I was programming all this time uh, and, and not knowing that there was a whole industry out there where you could program and, and it would be a job and you'd be paid for it. So when he told me that, it was like, you're, you're kidding me. You, you can program and, and, and you'll be paid for it and you have a job. It's like, yes. And that was it. Never, never looked back. And so I uh, got into IT um, from, from there. Wow, so a very, a very untraditional route uh, or non-traditional route into technology. It's not as common that people just go straight through university, straight into a career in technology anymore. So it's, it's got the, you've got the camps, you've got uh, self-taught people. Um, I'm not sure people necessarily do six years of medical school, go and play pianos <laughs> in bars, and then all of a sudden they there go into technology. Us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a very small, a very small percentage. But um, yeah, so how did you, how did you get that first job? What was that like? Um, so interestingly, um, again, it comes back to, I suppose, naivety uh, and, and not knowing how the world of work, work, uh, world of work works. Um, and and you, you can say that of anyone that age, actually. It's, it's really hard to know how to start your career, how to get onto that ladder. And so, um, again, this um, friend of mine said, look, I, the way I got into it was to go on a course to learn how to program. Now, I knew how to program, but, th but this was a particular um, uh, sort of programming language and skill that was really required in the industry at the time. Um, uh, a, a computer called the I IBM AS400, if anybody's geeky out there and wants to hear about that. Oh, interestingly, their, their model was that they were also a um, recruitment company. So as you did this eight-week course, hopefully by week four or week five, they'll have paired you up with a company. And, and that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, the, the interesting thing is, you, you, you mentioned how, you know, um, not needing a sort of uh, an IT background or a sort of um, a computing uh, qualification um, it, it isn't a thing anymore. I think we've come full circle. I, I suppose around the time I was looking for, for roles, actually doing computer science, I think, you know, even earlier than that, computer science wasn't even a degree. Um, but doing computer science or getting into computing at university wasn't the dumb thing at all. And then we've gone through a phase where, oh, yes, I'd, I'll do a computer science degree because I want to get into computing. And you're absolutely right. It's brilliant. We've come full circle where uh, all you need is, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm and the potential to do it. And actually going on to various uh, courses or boot camps, some of whom do work as recruitment consultants at the same time, can get you into the field. And that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just a kind of passing down the ladder for the next generation, you know, and doing everything you possibly can. And now, obviously, co-founded 
Arctic Shores, which, by the way, congratulations on the recent investment. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not too sure when this is going to come out, so it might be a bit further down the line. But um, yeah, I saw the, the article and it's, yeah, amazing. Thanks very much. So uh, look, let's start from the beginning because what Arctic Shores does is, is incredible. Uh, how did you come up with the idea for Arctic Shores? It's myself and my uh, co-founder, Robert, that started Arctic Shores. And um, we, we came together, having worked together previously, we knew each other well. Um, and um, we, the first things first, you know, we'd like to work together again. That was the first thing. So that, that, that was the easy part. But we also came together um, wanting to um, do something worthwhile um, and uh, to make a difference. Once we realized that, and we still, you know, hold that dear, um, uh, I suppose we each have our founder stories. And, and, and mine is um, what you've just heard, actually. I've, I spent six years going down a path that actually, if I'd had sort of more insight and more help, I, I probably wouldn't have gone down that path. I, you know, I have no regrets. It was an amazing education. Um, but if I'd had a bit more insight, some, just some help understanding what it is that I'm suited for, what it is that I'm made for, um, then, um, uh, you know, my world would have been, uh, been different. And so we, I suppose, uh, stumbled uh, upon this idea of, uh, of thinking how we could, um, uh, I suppose, measure um, uh, someone's, um, uh, their own qualities um, and, and match them to a role um, in, in the workplace. The key thing about Arctic Shores is the way we do it isn't your, your sort of run-of-the-mill way. You know, ultimately, we're a psychometric test. Um, and so with a psychometric test, you know, you measure behaviors and you match those behaviors, whether it's your attitude to risk, uh, certain mental abilities to the requirements of the role, and, and, and you work out what predicts success in the role. But the way that traditionally you do it is by asking questions. Whereas we were fascinated by the idea that you could take a task, something that was interactive. And you know, when we started Arctic Shores, you know, mobile phones were really coming into their own, the, the smartphones. So how could we use something like a smartphone or, or, or an online uh, experience to, 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 to give a task to, uh, to, to a candidate and understand what qualities they had and match them to the role? And that really fascinated us. So from uh, wanting to make a difference to really trying to um, uh, put the right candidates in, in the right roles, to working out how to do this. That's how this all came together to create Arctic Shores. Wow. Okay. But why? But why psychometric testing? Was it? Did um, I did you had bad, bad experience with interviewing previously? Because you did. You must have hired people through your career, I assume. Indeed. Yes. And did, had you made mistakes? And is that where it came from? Well, did it come from that? I, I challenge anyone who has hired someone looking at a CV. Um, and thinking this CV looks great, and you know you're looking at the experience like, oh, you worked at X, and then you have them in an interview, and you interview really well, and you get on, and then they get into the role, and it just doesn't work out. It's like, how, how could I, how could I have made this mistake? I challenge anyone not to have done that. So you're absolutely right. You know, how, how do we take this traditional process of the CV and interview and turn it on its head? And you know, it's all about timing. Um, uh, I suppose it was in the early early tens there was a big disruption in the finance industry. There was just the start of the disruption when it came to um, uh, data science. And actually, when it came to HR and hiring, the, the, the disruption hadn't started yet. Um, you know, the, the, in terms of assessments, the, the, the most innovative thing that had happened in assessments was to move it from pencil and paper uh, to online. That was about it. So we, we were hitting um, the industry at just the right time to disrupt how we assess people. So absolutely, it, it was trying to encourage people to look past just the CV and interview to realize that they don't really work in isolation. Um, they introduce bias as well. 
uh, and a lot of subjectivity and to try and introduce a lot more objectivity and fairness into the process. That, well, yeah, it's impossible not to be biased when uh, interviewing, unfortunately, or, or reviewing a CV without any aids or anything like that. It's, um, it's yeah, it is. Absolutely. Un unconscious bias, as they call it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And um, there's also the, the halo horns effect, they call it, don't they, as well. You, you kind of want to hire someone who's similar to yourself as well, which, again, is, you know, is really, really tough one to get around. Um, so, yeah, incredible things that the Artie Shaw's doing. So commend you, obviously. So you recently got funding, which is fantastic. What is the funding for? What you plan to do with it? If you can tell us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, we, we had to tell the investors. What we were going to ah, do. OK. Good. Um, so so we, we're, we're really pleased with what we have um, with um, our, our product. And we have some fantastic marquee clients. Um, but ultimately, we need to get our message out there. Mm -hmm. and, and we're looking to expand. Um, and so um, we have our, our base in the UK uh, and in Europe mainly, and it's doubling down on that. How can we um, uh, get our message uh, even more out there? How can we uh, gain more clients and, and, and you know, ultimately enable as many organizations as possible to um, uh, take on um, uh, Arctic Shores and, and, and use our platform? So it really is about that, that process of getting our name out there and really building the company on the strong foundations that we have already. I assume with Arctic Shores, the tangible saving of making the correct hire is pretty straightforward right is, is, is it not i mean yeah there must be so many stats out there about how much the wrong hire costs you i mean i know i've seen them yeah i mean that, that's a really interesting point so so you're right there's, there's tangible savings you know if you if you make a hire often there's a there's a recruitment uh, consultancy uh, in place absolutely which is uh, absolutely and there's a there's a fee involved and if you were to do that every six months you're paying a fee every six months so there's, there's that sort of tangible um uh, amount that you pay but, but more to the point, actually, having um, the wrong person in the role. You, you bring them in the role, you spend how many months bringing them up to speed, and then they become productive and then they leave. So ultimately, having the wrong hire, you know, actually, even if they don't become productive, you're even worse. So you, so you have someone sitting in there not being productive, and you wanted someone in the role and, and they're not. So there's that opportunity cost of not having someone in the role, which, which sets you back. Even worse than that is having someone in the role that ultimately disrupts um, everyone else uh, in the organization because they're heading in the wrong direction. They weren't the right fit for the organization. So you've got the tangible cost and there's certainly an intangible cost. Um, but ultimately, um, I, I don't, I, again, uh, there's, there's no one who wouldn't say that having the right people um, in the organization is the people that make the organization. That, I, that, that challenge any leader uh, not to think and say that. So um, th there's certainly a cost of not having the right person in the role. Yeah, it's yeah. It seems like a no-brainer, really, and and I know that um, it might not be a massive priority for certain for certain businesses, obviously. But I think, uh, yeah, it just seems like a no-brainer. From like, I'm very close to it, right? So course, it, yeah. it makes sense. But went out to get funding. Uh, this is your Series B, correct? How was it? How did you find it? Do you know what? Get, getting funding's usually tough. Yeah, uh, and I ask any um, uh, sort of uh, business leader um, <laughs> about getting funding. It's tough. Um, there's, there's finding the funders in the first place. There is um, selling them on, on, on what you do. There's the due diligence and, and you know, is, is your model, does, does that make sense and, and your plans for the future? What's, what's interesting is, as you said, we're now Series B, that depending on where you are in your company life cycle, you know, whether you're early stage or late stage, the experience can be quite uh, different. So um, I, I, what I'd say is that actually this experience has been um, very much about, okay, um, uh, you know, let's have a look at the model. You know, we're sold on the idea, um, but let's have a look at your model. Does it make sense? What are you spending on? What, you, what are your plans for the future? 
Whereas, uh, you know, in our early days, it was more about selling the dream, which can be even harder sometimes. You know, you don't have tra a track record. Where, you know, thankfully, we have a track record. Um, but in the early days, it was about selling the dream and, and actually um, selling um, myself and Roberts. You know, who are you and who are you? <laughs> in fact, I remember the very, very first funding we got was a 25-minute conversation. Um, and it, it was practically, who are you and, and who are you? Okay, um, who shall I write the check to? And it actually was a check as well. Wow. So a, a very different uh, uh, process. The economic backdrop obviously has changed um, over the last 12 months. And I'd say has made the process a little bit, a little bit uh, <laughs> understatement, a bit more difficult uh, than it has been uh, previously. But we're super, super pleased um, to have closed the funding with Praetorium, with Calculus, um, and uh, now looking to the future. That's such an interesting point, I think, you're right, because you, as you said, you don't have any track record apart from your personality and your passion. And so it, it must be when you go into that seed round, which I assume that the, you know, who should I write the check to yes. was, it was more about, okay, how passionate are these people that I'm speaking to? How bought in are they to, the, to where this could go? But then I guess this time around, it was more like, look what we've done already. This is the kind of run rate we're at, and this is where we're hoping to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you are um, obviously... Um selling the team as well. I mean, ultimately, it's, it's you, know, you have a track record, but it has to be the right team that can take that vision forward as well. How, how big is your team now? We are about uh, 60 people. I'm not going to get the figure exactly right. <laughs> it's around 60-something people. Again, if you can tell me the, the plans for the next 12, 18 months, have you got headcount plans or anything like that that you can tell us about? It's partly a wait and see. Um, we're, we're, as I said, we're looking to get sort of our, 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 our message out and the vision. So we have plans on the, um, the, the marketing side, plans on the sales side, some uh, smaller plans perhaps on the sort of products and technology side. So uh, that's, that's what we have over the next 12 months. And how did you find going, find going from being a, a, someone who was super technical, as you admitted, to more of a kind of, well, I don't know if you are more hands-off now. I, I hope you are. Um, yes. And yet to more of like a, just a leader and someone who's kind of overlooking things. So that, that I mean, that, that was an, an interesting journey. I, I am more hands-off now, though I've been taught this, strongly believe that actually every so often, even though you're at 30,000 foot, you need to swoop down and, and, you know, get your hands dirty every so often, really feel what it feels like um, for those that are working with you to, to be at the coalface. Um, otherwise, you can stay up here and assume, you know, why aren't you doing this? And why? Of course, it's easy, and, and actually, it's not. It's really hard doing the technical stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm mostly hands off. In, in terms of that transition, it happened gradually. If I think about the amount of time, which is a long time ago, since you know, actually becoming a software developer and cutting code all the way to here, I've learned by osmosis and, and learned the hard way, and, and, and made many, many mistakes. Um, hopefully, many of which I've learned from as well. Um, and find yourself here. It's funny actually being the founder or co-founder of a company. There's nowhere to hide. So when something needs done or a decision um, uh, needs making, um, uh, you have to find a way to do that, whether it's yourself. Thankfully, I have a great co-founder to, uh, to bounce ideas off and rely on as well, or, or, your, or your great team. Um, but you have to get it done. So there's, there's a lot of pressure, but a lot of impetus um, to learn as quickly as possible. Do you think there's an advantage to being coming from a technical background and, and, and then co-founding a business? Interesting one. Um, I'm going to sound like a Y Combinator advert now, but um, it, it's quite classic to have more than one founder. I mean, I, I think I was looking at the stat only this morning it, 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 for Y Combinator that out of the top 100 companies they funded, only four had um, uh, solitary founders. Wow. To have a co-founder, yes. Um, in terms of having a technical co-founder, um, uh, for sure. I think ultimately... Any founder, 
can, can learn how to perhaps even to sell, to market themselves, to, to raise money. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying, saying everyone can learn it, but you can learn it. I think to take a, a founder and to ask them to learn to code um, uh, and to build a tech team um, is hard and would probably take a long time. A great founder could do that, but actually I think your time is better spent um, elsewhere. And therefore having a non-technical founder and a technical uh, uh, founder uh, together is, is quite classic and makes perfect sense. Yeah, and that's such a, a really good point you made there about there is such a, an eclectic uh, collection of skills that you need to be a founder. And it's it's almost impossible, right, to, ha to have one person who, have, who has all of those, like you said, marketing, sales, uh, recruitment, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, that th and that does make sense. I mean, I, I was originally thought it was just purely because the fact that there were so many, uh, so few solitary founders was just purely because it's it's hard. Right. <laughs> it's, re it's really tough. And I can imagine, I mean, I, I have two business partners and I couldn't imagine doing doing what I do on my own. Absolutely. And you probably have that, right? You have a really bad day and you need to speak to somebody about it. And there's not many people who will understand that well what you're going through as as a co-founder would. Absolutely. Well, it's not just that as well. I mean, you know, you, you need to sort of um, share in, in, in your um, joys as well. And actually, if you do that by yourself, it's like visiting somewhere by yourself and you want to turn around and say, whoa, look at, <laughs> there's no one there to, to share. And also share in sort of, you know, any setbacks you have as well. Um, it's um, uh, it, just from a personal point of view, it's just so much better to be able to do that. There was someone who was speaking to, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, it, there was, it was me, Tom, Harry, the, the other co-founders, and they were saying, you do realize that you three are going to be the closest people in your entire lives, right? Because you're going through, it's like going through war with somebody yes. where, you know, where it's these, not to trivialize war, obviously, but you know, it's like these just unique things and you're learning as you go. Absolutely. And it was like, you know, you two, you, you three are going to be mates forever or the other way is going to go and you're going to hate each other. But you know. no, Hopefully not. Hopefully well, that's, not. That's when it's war. I mean, I was going to say yeah. it's like a marriage, but I don't want to say that marriage <laughs> yeah. is like war, but yeah, it is like a marriage. Yeah. You, you, you're quite likely to work with and see and speak to your co-founder more than you are your partner sometimes, yeah. at least in the early days or, or, you know, if things go well. Yeah, really good point. So funding now, you're growing, which is amazing. You've got these fantastic products. What What's the next bit that you're adding to it? What's What's going to be new? I'm glad you asked that. The most exciting thing that we have around the corner is something we're calling workplace intelligence. Awesome. So we have created what we'd call sort of the next generation of um, uh, assessments that measures um, candidates' mental abilities. So if you look out in the market when it comes to um, uh, assessments and testing, actually the lion's share, a huge amount of it is so-called aptitude testing. What's someone's numerical reasoning ability? What's their abstract reasoning ability? And, and so there's lots of that in the market. The, the thing is that they can be practiced quite well. And if you go online, and any student will tell you this, you'll find sort of practice papers. And, and so there's an issue um, where if someone's able to practice or can afford the practice tests, they're given an unfair advantage as compared to those that maybe come from a background where they're not encouraged to do that or can't afford to do that. Um, also, when they're used um, incorrectly, they can introduce bias as well. So what we've created in this new product, Workplace Intelligence, which, which is, is out, but we've not made the splash about it yet, so the, t the timing here is perfect, is a mechanism whereby actually it can't be practiced. Um, it's a slightly different way um, of um, sort of measuring someone's mental abilities that doesn't tap into the same sort of, in the same way um, as um, a traditional um, aptitude tests. The, the great thing about it as well is in these traditional tests, um, what happens is you have a right and wrong answer. So um, you, you'll be presented usually with a sequence of shapes, let's say, 
uh, and say, and you, you'll be asked, okay, out of these four uh, shapes, you know, which is the right one? Which is the next one? Um, and you either get it right or wrong. Now, you can get close. Whereas with our new workplace intelligence, actually, we even choose something what we call is, is, is partial scoring. So ultimately, if you get it wrong, but you were getting there, you almost got there, you will get credit for that. And so it, it, it's a much fairer test and actually a much more um, uh, insightful test because you can see how far the candidate got. So really, really excited about this uh, coming out. And actually, for, for me, this next generation test, it's, it's a game changer. Uh, and it's a game changer in the same way that our very first product, all those years ago, I'd put it on, the, on a par with that. One thing people don't realize is, and, and we, um, we aptitude test as well, you know, and um, psychometric test, people don't realize a, a bad score can really knock someone's confidence, right? Even if they've done a really good, a really good job, or like you said, they were, they were almost there, they were getting there, that can really have an effect on somebody. So that partial scoring system sounds so very, very interesting if not only to give the employer an insight into the kind of person that they could hire, um, where traditionally it would have been a yes or no, but also just for the person being like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that bad, you know, Absolutely. I'm almost there. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Brilliant. So, um, and how, how long, are we, I don't know when this podcast is going to go out to be honest, but how long are we away? So, so it's out there. Okay. But we've not quite made the splash yet. So we're, we're just, we're just going through, I mean, there are a few extra bits and pieces that we need to uh, put, but, but it's all about sort of releasing early, but releasing quality. So we've, we've released, um, but I think hopefully by the time the podcast is out, we'll be all guns blazing. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Well, look, I'm, I'm conscious of time because we could, uh, we could rabbit on all day. Uh, there's, lo- there's so much we could talk about and a way I always like to kind of end the podcast. If today was your last day on earth, um, and you mentioned a few hobbies already and you weren't on this podcast and you weren't spending time with family, of course. Where would you be? What would you be doing? So uh, in terms of where, um, I, I mean, I've been very lucky enough to travel all sorts of um, places in the world. My favourite place that I've visited is, is an island off the coast of New Zealand. And maybe that's saying something about myself. I want to be as far away from anyone as possible, not just in New Zealand, um, but on an island, an island called Waiheke. And it's a small island and it's just surrounded by lots of beaches and some uh, little coffee shops with the most fantastic coffee. Um, and I, I suppose I'd like to just move from beach to beach to beach. Um, I, I mentioned I grew up on the sea. I love the water. I love swimming in the sea, um, swimming, sailing. And so I, I'd, I'd be doing that, actually. It'd be great. So, so long as I have a computer, I can do a bit of programming. Sure, yeah. And there's a piano somewhere, uh, and there's someone willing to listen to me singing, then, then I'm fine. What an incredible answer. Okay, fantastic. Well, look, I'm so happy that we, we were able to get in the podcast. It's been such an amazing conversation. Incredible to hear that you got the funding that you were going for, and... Um, yeah, the exciting stuff that's going on at Arctic Shores. Can't wait to see where you are in 12, 18 months. Thanks very much indeed. It's been uh, great being on here. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Anything we talked about will be linked in the show notes, and if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll catch you on the next one.